Okay, we're going to go ahead and resume uh, our case discussions. And I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Up until now, we've really mostly talked about mono-infected folks. And I'm going to focus on issues that are more relevant to um, HIV, HCV, co-infected patients, um, particularly focusing on the issue of drug-drug interactions, which is really, at this point, the only thing that distinguishes treatment decision-making in co-infection from treatment decision-making in mono-infection. So um, I'm going to try to spend most of my time talking about new, newly approved drugs. So we'll talk a fair amount about um, velpatosphere and also um, uh, elbosphere and grazoprevir because those are drugs that have been approved um, quite recently, really only in the last few months. Okay, here are my um, uh, disclosures. I think it's interesting that both Dr. Flexner and Dr. Sag are now consulting for generic drug manufacturers, which maybe says something about the future. Although I promise I did not give Mylan advice about the pricing of EpiPen. <laughs> um, here are my learning objectives, um, which I guess this was originally... Uh, uh, organized as a lecture rather than cases, but this is uh, these are two things that I think will be new for you uh, at the end of my talk because these are uh, uh, relatively new drugs. So let's uh, start with uh, lodiposphere versus vulpatosphere, and specifically pharmacology, metabolism, and drug interactions. So lodiposphere, the older drug, it's an NS5A inhibitor. Um, it has minimal metabolism. It's 70% um, uh, eliminated unchanged, mainly biliary excretion. So this is a drug that almost certainly undergoes um, uh, hepatobiliary recirculation, which for treatment of hepatitis C, if you think about it, is probably a good thing because if, you're, if the liver is constantly excreting the drug in the bile and taking it back up and having it pass through hepatocytes, excreting it through the bile, taking it back up, you're effectively concentrating that drug in hepatocytes. And I think that's something you want to do. For, that's not true for all antibiotics, but I think that probably is a serendipitously good thing for, for uh, lodiposphere. Um, it's a drug with low drug interaction potential, although it is an inhibitor of... Um, which of these is the pointer... Side button. Ah. One of these looks like it's an off, and one looks like it's an on. Just right here. Oh, no, I was trying to point, not oh, advance. Oh, just in the middle. Okay. And then there's also a better laser pointer right here. Okay. All right, maybe I'll use that. That's easier. Um, anyway, uh, lodiposphere has a low potential for drug interactions, although it's an inhibitor of several important drug transport proteins, which is probably how it exerts, it exerts its effects, for example, on tenofovir. Valpatosphere, um, also an NS5A inhibitor, but with uh, broader spectrum coverage than lodiposphere, um, predominantly excreted, again, in the bile, um, as parent drug, but it's also, unlike lodiposphere, it is metabolized to some extent. Um, both of these drugs, less than 1% of the dose excreted in the urine. So valpatosphere, unlike lodiposphere, is a substrate for cytochrome P453A4 and a couple of other minor 
cytochromes. And like um, ledipasphere, it is an inhibitor of several important drug transport proteins. Okay, so we know that if you combine sofosbuvir and ledipasvir with tenofovir, um, you increase um, tenofovir concentrations in the plasma. And that's especially true if the patient is also taking um, boosted HIV protease inhibitors like adizanivir. Um, so um, here's a more complicated slide looking at that with, um, so previous slide was NNRTIs alone. Here is um, combining ledipasvir, sofosbuvir with boosted PIs. And as you can see, particularly with boosted darunavir, um, you increase tenofovir concentrations as compared to boosted darunavir alone. Uh, boosted adizanivir, not as much of an increase, but still an increase uh, compared to uh, adizanivir alone. Okay, so current guidelines suggest that you should avoid combining these drugs um, in those with baseline creatinine clearances of less than 60. And that's because tenofovir is renally cleared. And so not only are you increasing tenofovir concentrations, but you get a boost in the increase if the patient starts out with baseline renal insufficiency and tenofovir is potentially nephrotoxic. Um, at least it is, has the potential to um, decrease further your estimated creatinine clearance. So um, combining these drugs with boosted PIs should be avoided unless you can't change the antiretroviral regimen and the urgency of treatment for the HCV is high. Um, there aren't very many situations where you can't switch somebody off of a boosted ritonavir-boosted PI, at least for the duration of HCV uh, therapy. Uh, but there are an increasing number of patients with integrase inhibitor resistant, resistance, and so that's something um, you need to think about. What if you can't avoid giving a tenofovir and a, a boosted HIV protease inhibitor with sofosbuvir and ledipasvir. Well, the recommendation is to uh, uh, um, do baseline uh, monitoring with um, um, estimated creatinine clearance, electrolytes, urinary protein, and glucose, and then monitor every two to four weeks on therapy. Um, and, and the question is um, how much of a change in these parameters is necessary before you'd stop therapy or change therapy, and that's really left to the judgment of the prescriber. So how dangerous is it if you combine tenofovir with sofosbuvir and ledipasvir in the real world, that is, uh, outside of the setting of a, of a randomized prospective clinical trial? And so the answer is it looks like it's really not very dangerous. So this was a study presented um, last February at the uh, uh, retrovirus conference in Boston um, looking at um, changes in EGFR over time in patients on um, uh, tenofovir-containing regimens who were put on sofosbuvir ledipasvir, and their, estimated, their mean estimated GFR is plotted here with the thick purple line as patients who were taking um, a, 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 a boosted PIs and the, the thin, lighter lavender line as patients, sorry, this, these are the patients who were not taking uh, 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 um, 
uh, ritonavir or cobacistat boosted PIs. These are the patients who um, were taking uh, uh, boosted PIs. And so what you can see is that from four weeks to 12 weeks to the end of study, which was uh, generally four weeks after completion of therapy, um, both arms had a decrease in estimated creatinine clearance, estimated GFR, which is not surprising because that's what you would expect uh, in someone who was taking uh, um, tenofovir. And at the end of therapy, there was really no difference in the mean EGFR between the uh, tenofovir unboosted uh, uh, recipients and the tenofovir boosted recipients. So that's encouraging. Um, I will say, however, if you look at the absolute, absolute numbers, one thing to keep in mind is that um, uh, if you look at the number of patients who at the end of treatment had an estimated uh, GFR of less than 70 mils per minute, so that's you know, significant renal insufficiency, um, and, and this would be new significant renal insufficiency, there was only one a, a patient who, who, one real patient who qualified on the, um, uh, uh, well, there was, there was one patient with an uh, EGFR of 63 and one with an EGFR of 69 on the um, uh, unboosted arm, but three on the boosted arm. And, and so um, uh, uh, because there were fewer people on the boosted arm, only 25 here and 44 here, Three out of 25 actually had an end-of-treatment EGFR of less than 70. So that's something I think is concerning, and I would continue to recommend not combining, um, uh, 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 not putting a patient who's on a boosted PI plus tenofovir on cefosbuvir, lidiposvir, um, unless you could change their uh, antiretroviral regimen or pick a different um, anti-HCV regimen. Okay, so um, what about velpatosphere? It's the new replacement. Yeah, question. Um, any data that the new tenofovir formulation passed? So, yeah, I'm going to talk about that. So thank you for bringing that up. You introduced, uh, you introduced my uh, a slide about three slides from now, but yeah, thank you. So we're going to talk about uh, tenofovir alafenamide, what, what happens with these drugs in tenofovir alafenamide. So what happens when combining velpatosphere with, with the the old tenofovir prodrug, TDF. And that brings me to my first audience response question. So which of the following best describes the effect of velpatosphere on the pharmacokinetics of tenofovir? Is it that velpatosphere decreases concentrations of tenofovir when given as TDF? That velpatosphere increases concentrations of tenofovir when given as TDF? that velpatosphere does not change concentrations of tenofovir when given as TDF, or that velpatosphere does not alter concentrations of tenofovir in the plasma, but increases intracellular tenofovir diphosphate concentrations. So let's vote. I'm blocking Mike. What was that? I love Lucy. Excellent. Okay. Um, okay, good. The correct answer is actually number two. 
So that was uh, tied for first choice. Um, we actually don't know what valpatosphere does to intracellular tenofovir diphosphate concentrations because they're very difficult to measure. Um, and so that nobody has actually looked at that yet. Um, but one can imagine generally if you increase plasma concentrations, you're going to increase intracellular tenofovir diphosphate concentrations because there does appear to be a predictable relationship between extracellular tenofovir and intracellular tenofovir diphosphate. And, and so that's uh, shown here. Um, so this is complicated data. This is a study uh, presented about a year ago at AASLD by investigators from Gilead. Um, so the, the little bubbles here, um, the, the blue circles are, is an area under the curve. The uh, um, yellow square is a peak concentration, C max, and the triangle is a trough concentration, or C tau. Okay, so AUC, peak, trough. And you've got AUC, peak, trough for every one of these drug combinations. So if you give velpatosphere, sofosbuvir with an efavirenz-based triple regimen, this is really a tripla, um, what you see is, in fact, you get a decrease in velpatosphere concentrations, about a 50% decrease. So you can't use velpatosphere with efavirenz. And this is a new theme. So with the original DAAs up until now, we've been very comfortable putting people on, a tri on an atripla-based regimen on DAAs. And now, today, we have one regimen that you're not supposed to combine with efavirenz, and that's valpatosphere-sofosbuvir combo. And I'm going to show you in a few minutes, the same applies to the uh, elbosphere-grosoprevir regimen, which also should not be combined with efavirenz. So all of a sudden today, um, we, have, uh, we have new DAAs that we like. They have improvements over previous DAA combos, but they shouldn't be combined with, they shouldn't be used in patients on a tripla. So as if we need another reason not to have everybody on a tripla, here are two more reasons, uh, is inability to combine with newer DAAs. Um, and and um, the, uh, the nice thing about these regimens is you can combine them with integrase inhibitors. So here are, um, uh, here's a uh, rilpivirine-based reg regimen, F FTC rilpivirine um, and tenofovir, and here is uh, dalyotegravir, and here is um, uh, FTC uh, TDF raltegravir. Really no change in velpatosphere concentrations at all. So what about effect of velpatosphere on tenofovir? Well, with um, um, efavirenz, uh, um, rilpivirine or raltegravir, you get about a 50% increase in um, the area under the curve of tenofovir in the plasma. You get a larger increase with the efavirenz-based regimen, uh, but still um, a magnitude of increase that's similar to what was seen with ledipasphere. So velpatosphere does not have an advantage over ledipasphere in terms of its impact on tenofovir. And if you have a patient in whom you're worried about increasing tenofovir concentrations for 12 weeks, then you probably want to worry about velpatosphere and maybe avoid it or get them off of tenofovir if you can. Now, I will say a lot of us um, 
aren't as worried about this drug interaction because it's only going to happen for 12 weeks. And the likelihood of, of an increased tenofovir concentration having a significant long-term impact on your renal function, I think, is less than if you're going to do this for the life of the patient. And so there is not, this is not a clear-cut contraindication, but it is something that uh, one should be cautious about. Okay, so here's a, a further look at other um, uh, boosted, um, potentially boosted tenofovir-containing uh, uh, regimens. So this is now sofosbuvir, velpatisvir, plus an Elvite, two elvitegravir regimens Boosted atazanavir, boosted darunavir, or a boosted uh, or a boosted lopinavir. And what you can see here is that the um, valpatosphere concentrations don't change very much, except with atazanavir. And so the area under the curve for valpatosphere is increased about two and a half fold with boosted atazanavir. And the mechanism of that is unclear. It's probably not due to inhibition of cytochrome P453A4 because that plays a relatively minor role in velpatosphere metabolism. But um, the authors of the study who work for Gilead uh, don't think this is clinically significant. And the reason they don't think it's clinically significant is because velpatosphere is a very safe and well-tolerated drug. And there's there's no known concentration-limiting toxicity in humans for valpatosphere. Um, and again, this is something that the patient's only going to be exposed to for 12 weeks. Um, I personally would avoid this, co- this combination until more data are out there because most of our patients who are on boosted atazanavir could be switched to another regimen, at least for the duration of their HCV treatment. What about the effect of uh, these regimens on the uh, HIV uh, um, antiretroviral combinations? Well, again, uh, for the most part, little or no change in the concentrations of the ARVs. So a geometric mean ratio of 1 means the concentrations remain exactly the same. 1.5 means a 50% increase, and 0.5 would be a 50% decrease. So... um, the only really significant things that pop out here is you get about a 100% increase in uh, the uh, uh, cobacistat trough concentrations with um, uh, 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 velpatosphere, sofosbuvir. Uh, whether you whether um, you give whether the regimen contains tenofovir alafenamide or a tenofovir disoproxyl fumarate doesn't really matter. Again, the author's uh, conclusion is that this is not clinically significant because cobacistat has a very short half-life, and so the, uh, if, the, if you increase the trough by 100%, you're on, only increasing the area under the curve by about 20 to 30%. Um, I think in most cases, I would probably agree with that. I, I don't think a, a modest increase in cobacistat is anything that I would worry about too much. But... but Anyway, these are these other um, uh, antiretroviral regimens combined with um, combined with um, velpatosphere. Certainly, um, uh, no impact on concentrations of the uh, boosted protease inhibitors.
What about tenofovir? Again, very similar story to what I showed you earlier. About a 40% to an 80% increase in the, or really here a 40% to 50% increase in the tenofovir area under the curve. About a 50% increase in tenofovir concentrations most of the time. The one exception is tenofovir alafenamide, which you mentioned earlier. And with tenofovir alafenamide, if anything, the concentrations go down. So a very different interaction with tenofovir alafenamide than with tenofovir uh, disoproxyl fumarate. So um, a couple of caveats about this. Number one, we don't know what impact lidiposphere has or had on tenofovir alafenamide because it hasn't been studied. So this is, as far as I know, the only time uh, TAF has been studied in combination with an NS5A inhibitor. But this looks quite encouraging if you're worried about increases in tenofovir concentrations. The second caveat is we know that uh, tenofovir alafenamide um, is taken up into the cell as the prodrug and converted inside the cell for the most part to uh, tenofovir, to the tenofovir parent nucleoside, which then gets phosphorylated to the active compound. And they did not look at intracellular drug concentrations in this study. So the assumption is that the intracellular nucleoside, nucleotides would also decrease slightly, but they didn't actually measure that. But I think this is pretty encouraging. And if you are worried, if you have a patient in whom you're worried about increased plasma tenofovir concentrations, which may increase risk of renal toxicity, and you can switch them to a TAF-containing regimen, I would do it. It's available, and it looks like it has a much better interaction profile with valpatosphere, certainly with valpatosphere, than, um, um, than uh, uh, TDF-containing regimens. So there's the answer to your question about TAF. Okay, um, so here's a summary of recommendations of antiretrovirals that can be safely combined with valpatosphere and sofosbuvir. So pretty much all of the NRTIs, although they only looked at TAF, TDF, and emtricitabine in, the, in these studies because these are studies uh, uh, sponsored by Gilead. Um, Rilpivirine as an NNRTI, don't use efavirins with valpatosphere. Um, all of the integrase inhibitors are safe to combine. Atazanavir, darunavir, lopinavir, I'd put brackets around atazanavir here because it does increase the valpatosphere AUC by two and a half fold. And I don't know what the clinical significance of that is. The assumption is it's safe. I'd like to see more data. Um, and uh, cobacistat maybe put brackets around that because cobacistat concentrations do go up modestly. Um, and ritonavir, um, uh, no change. So lots of options with uh, the new NS5A inhibitor, valpatosphere. Okay. Um, would TAF be a safer option than TDF with um, HCV single tablet regimens, like valpatosphere, sofosbuvir? I gave you my opinion. But this leads to um, my um, my next audience response question, 
Which of the following best describes the differences between the pharmacokinetics of tenofovir alafenamide and tenofovir disaproxyl fumarate when given at standard oral doses? Is it that plasma concentrations of tenofovir are higher with TAF than with TDF? That plasma concentrations of tenofovir are lower with TAF than with TDF? That plasma concentrations are similar with these two prodrugs? Uh, that plasma con- or that plasma concentrations are similar, but intracellular concentrations of tenofovir diphosphate are lower with TAF than with TDF. So let's vote. Let's see how many people are listening. Excellent. Eighty percent of you were listening to me, or you knew the answer already. So, so the, the answer is that plasma concentrations of tenofovir are lower, substantially lower, about 90 percent lower with a, a tenofovir alafenamide than with TDF. And the assumption is that it's plasma concentrations of tenofovir that drive renal toxicity because tenofovir is, is taken up into renal tubular cells. So here's a scheme that shows the difference between the metabolism of tenofovir alafenamide and tenofovir disaproxyl fumarate. Um, in the intestinal tract, tenofovir isn't absorbed, which is why it's not given as tenofovir. It's given as one of these prodrugs. Um, tenofovir and TAF are both readily cross the um, uh, intestinal membrane um, and reach the plasma, but tenofovir disaproxyl fumarate, TDF, the old prodrug, is rapidly converted to tenofovir, TFV. Whereas TAF is very inefficiently converted to TFV until it gets inside cells. So TAF is mainly taken up into cells as the prodrug, which then gets efficiently converted to the active metabolite, the uh, tenofovir um, diphosphate. In fact, with a standard dose of TAF versus a standard dose of TDF, so this would be 10 or 25 milligrams, depending upon whether cobacystat was in the regimen, um, 10 milligrams with cobacystat, 25 milligrams without. This is 300 milligrams regardless. Um, you, get about, um, uh, you, you get about eight-fold more diphosphate with TAF than with TDF. And the assumption is that's a good thing because um, this is the active metabolite. This, there's, there's no... Um, information about whether or not this active metabolite is actually toxic. So the assumption is that increasing intracellular concentrations eightfold is a good thing. But the bottom line is we don't know yet whether there will be long-term toxicities from TAF that were unanticipated because we're exposing cells to more of this. But so far it looks awfully good. But just keep that in mind. It is a it is relatively early in, uh, in the lifespan of TAF, um, and, and there could be surprises later, although I think so far um, uh, everything looks quite encouraging. Okay, so the, um, uh, uh, the assumption is that lower systemic levels of tenofovir, the nucleoside uh, um, parent drug, um, improve the renal, renal safety profile of TAF because less of this to- potentially toxic um, uh, nucleoside is getting taken up into renal tubular cells. Okay, and th- this is just a, a graphic showing the uh, plasma concentration time curves 
of a tenofovir for a TAF-containing regimen uh, versus a um, uh, uh, versus a, a, um, a, a TDF regimen, and and so this is looking at um, a, a mean tenofovir concentrations in the red, and um, uh, mean um, TAF concentrations in the purple, showing rapid clearance of TAF from the plasma, but um, sustained concentrations of um, of a, a TFV um, um, in uh, in uh, um, um, uh, uh, comparing um, um, uh, comparing uh, several different uh, comparing in this case two different um, antiretroviral combination regimens. Now um, these concentrations of tenofovir, although they are sustained, are about a tenfold lower than the concentrations of tenofovir in the plasma you would see with TDF. Okay, so let's switch gears now and talk about a couple of other of the newer antiretroviral regimens, and let's, let's look at some newer uh, uh, drug interaction data between the PROD regimen and um, antiretrovirals. So this is a review of the metabolism of the three agents in um, PROD. So this is ritonavir-boosted paratepravir, the protease inhibitor, ombitasvir, the NS5A inhibitor, and azapivir, the non-nucleoside NS5B inhibitor. And, and so the bottom line is when you look at the drug interaction potential of PROD, everything is overwhelmed by having ritonavir in the regimen. So pretty much the drug interaction profile of PROD is the drug interaction profile of ritonavir with a few exceptions. Um, uh, all of the three components of PROD other than ritonavir, um, uh, well, two of the three components have the capacity to inhibit certain drug transport proteins, and that could lead to uh, uh, drug interactions that you wouldn't necessarily see with ritonavir alone. But as a practical matter, most of what you worry about with this regimen is uh, ritonavir-associated um, drug interactions. So this is just a look at combining um, PROD with um, other uh, with antiretrovirals that you would commonly want to combine with this regimen. So at the top is a summary of the interactions with emtricitabine and um, tenofovir disoproxyl fumarate. So this would be Truvada. Here's raltegravir and here's rilpivirine. So with, um, with emtricitabine and TDF, uh, you get a small decrease in uh, paratepravir. Uh, you get no change in the other two components. You do get a slight increase in the um, uh, trough concentration of, uh, of uh, tenofovir, but overall this is, uh, this is a, a safe uh, combination. With raltegravir, again, no effect on the prod components, a, about a doubling in uh, raltegravir concentrations, which is kind of interesting. Um, and that's probably co the consequence of ritonavir. But because raltegravir has no concentration-limited toxicity, um, it's considered uh, uh, um, uh, fine to combine raltegravir with this, uh, with this DAA combo. And finally, rilpivirine. Um, you do see a substantial increase in rilpivirine concentrations because of the interaction with ritonavir. And because rilpivirine has concentration associated prolongation 
of the QT interval and thus potential risk of arrhythmia, this is not recommended. So rilpivirine should not be combined with prod, unlike what we just saw with velpatosvir, ledipasvir, and sofosbuvir, where uh, rilpivirine can be safely combined with those combos, with those STRs. Um, what about boosted PIs? Well, um, atazanavir uh, can be safely combined with prod, except you don't need the boosting dose of ritonavir because you've already got that boosting dose in prod because it's there to boost the paratepravir. So if you combine boosted atazanavir with prod, which is fine to do, don't forget to tell the patient to stop taking their extra ritonavir for the duration of the treatment with uh, paratepravir plus. Um, uh, Boosted darunavir, there's a little bit of controversy here. There is a small decrease in the Cmax um, and the trough of a boosted, uh, 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 sorry, small decrease in the Cmax and the AUC, and about a 50% decrease in the darunavir trough with uh, uh, prod. And so um, some people are concerned that we need more data. I'm going to show you data in a minute. About, um, uh, about the clinical performance of that combination. And finally, uh, boosted lopinavir. Because the ritonavir is co-formulated with lopinavir, you can't get rid of it. And so if you combine uh, boosted lopinavir with prod, you got too much ritonavir for most patients to tolerate. And so it's really not recommended just because there's too much ritonavir. So boosted atazanavir with prod, yes. Boosted darunavir, maybe. So here's a study that actually looked at the performance of boosted darunavir with uh, prod in a small number of HIV, HCV co-infected patients. This is a study presented uh, in February at Croy. And what they found was that, in fact, the plasma concentrations of darunavir were not reduced as much as in the healthy volunteer study I just showed you. So only a slight reduction in the uh, area under the curve the Cmax, and, the, and a lesser reduction in the trough, about a 30 to 40% reduction in the trough instead of a 50% reduction. 100% of these folks achieved an uh, HCV SVR. Two of them had HIV RNA blips on study, but that did not appear to be related to their darunavir concentrations. That is, this did not occur in the patients who had the lowest darunavir concentrations. And both of these patients went on to resuppress and did not fail their HIV regimens. So the uh, uh, conclusion was to continue to use this combination with caution. There is a larger study looking at 230 patients on boosted darunavir and prod, and that, those results aren't out yet. But this actually is quite con- encouraging, I think, about the ability to use boosted darunavir with prod. Okay. So uh, I'm going to finish with uh, grazeprevir and elbosvir, the newest kids on the block, if you will, um, uh, for HCV treatment. And we've talked a bit about this, uh, quite a bit about this so far. So this brings me to my next ARS question. Which of the following best describes the drug interaction potential of the grazeprevir, elbosvir single tablet regimen? Is, that, is it that grazeprevir and elbosvir are neither substrates nor inhibitors of cytochrome P453A4, that grazoprevir and elbosvir are inhibitors of the drug transport protein OATP1B13, 
that grisoprevir and elbisvir can increase the plasma concentrations of co-administered statins by an unknown mechanism, or that grisoprevir and elbisvir can decrease the plasma concentrations of co-administered tacrolimus by an unknown mechanism. So let's vote. I don't expect you to know the answer to answers to these because these are data that haven't been around for a long Dr. Smith, Dr. Smith. Okay, um, interesting. So uh, it turns out that uh, I think grisoprevir is an inhibitor of, of one, or albusvir is an inhibitor of 1B13, but grisoprevir is not. So 2 is actually not correct. It's kind of a trick uh, response there. But 3 is the correct answer. So this. STR combination increases all of the statins they've looked at in combination to a greater or lesser extent. But the mechanism for that is unknown, probably related to drug transport proteins. And that's because, um, so let's look at uh, grisoprevir. It's the uh, protease inhibitor. It's partially metabolized and, again, excreted in the bile. Very interesting. Almost certainly undergoing enterohepatic recirculation. No detectable circulating metabolites even though it is a substrate for cytochrome P453A4 and minimal renal excretion. So this is the one that's an inhibitor. Uh, uh, sorry, it is a, this is a substrate for 1B13, but not an inhibitor of 1B13. So not a lot of drug interaction potential there, except it's an it's a, um, inhibitor of, of uh, BCRP, breast cancer resistance protein. Elbosphere, NS5A inhibitor, Again, partially metabolized and excreted in bile, no circulating metabolites. So enterohepatic recirculation, concentration in the liver, minimal renal excretion, and it is a substrate for 3A4, although there are no circulating metabolites detect detected. Um, and this one is an inhibitor of, uh, again, an inhibitor of BCRP, but also P-glycoprotein. So I, I, I got that wrong. Neither one is an inhibitor of OATP1B13, one of them is a substrate of. Okay, so lots of data um, in the package insert, but here I think is what you need to know. Because both of these drugs are cytochrome P453A4 substrates, like for any cytochrome P453A4 substrate, you want to avoid strong inducers or strong inhibitors. So, um, for example, rifamycins. Um, or um, uh, anticonvulsants like carbamazepine you wouldn't use with these drugs, or St. John's wort you would not use with these drugs. Um, strong inhibitors. Don't combine these drugs with ritonavir if you can avoid it because ritonavir is a strong CYP3A4 inhibitor, can greatly increase grisoprevir and elbosphere concentrations, although the clinical significance of that is not known because so far these two drugs appear to be quite safe, at least as uh, if, they're, if they're used without strong uh, CYP inhib CYP3A4 inhibitors. Um, interestingly, this combination does increase tacrolimus concentrations, uh, just uh, increases the AUC by about 50%, um, and also increases the midazolam AUC by 34%, but the mechanism of that is not known. Midazolam is a pure 3A4 substrate, but neither of these drugs look like they're very powerful 3A4 inhibitors, so that's kind of curious. Um, more importantly, 
Um, these drugs increased the atorvastatin AUC by almost 100% at a atorvastatin dose of 10 milligrams, low dose. Um, increased the rosuvastatin AUC by 126% and the pravastatin AUC by 33%. Personally, for me, I wouldn't worry about this. If I had somebody on pravastatin, which is a very safe drug, if the AUC went up by 33%, I don't think I would care. But it's interesting that these drugs increase atorvastatin and rosuvastatin concentrations about twofold by a mechanism that's not understood. The more important take-home point relates to efavirenz. So efavirenz, which is a moderate 3A4 inducer, but induces some drug transport proteins, decreases the gazoprevir area under the curve by 83%. It's like rifampin. So don't give efavirenz with these two drugs. So if you only take away one thing from this session, take away efavirenz can't be used with velpatosphere or with the gazoprevir elbosphere combination. Um, mention, I mentioned rifampin. This is kind of crazy, and I don't understand it. We tend to think of rifampin as dramatically decreasing concentrations of 3A4 substrates, and I would have predicted rifampin would have decreased grazoprevir and elbosphere concentrations by about the same amount as efavirenz. In fact, with rifampin, grazoprevir concentrations increased eightfold. No idea why that is. No idea. Some smart pharmacologist is going to sit down and figure that out, but I've never seen anything like that. So it's fascinating, although I will say, not very often you're going to combine these drugs with, with, with rifampin. So that's the good news. Okay, I want to finish with this kind of vignette um, related to, I think it's a good pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic vignette. So um, acute HCV infection is really responsive to in interferon ribavirin intervention. Very high cure rates in acute HCV infection if you intervene with uh, interferon and ribavirin, if people can tolerate interferon and ribavirin. And so a group of investigators in the AIDS clinical trials group wanted to look at cefospivir ribavirin for acute HCV infection. And one would think that would be a great combo. And lo and behold, what they found was it was uh, nearly a uniform failure. So the, um, uh, the uh, um, uh, it, it wasn't a uniform failure. It just wasn't any better than um, uh, uh, PEG ribavirin. So only about a 60% uh, uh, SVR, 40% of people with acute HCV infection relapsed um, within 12 weeks after stopping this therapy. So why the heck did that happen? So my final ARS question, which of the following is a known risk factor for failing the combination of cefosbuvir and ribavirin in acute HCV infection? Is it low cefosbuvir concentrations, low ribavirin concentrations, advanced liver disease at the time of diagnosis, or recent injection drug use? So let's vote. Okay. So we all have a lot to learn because no one picked the right answer. <laughs> the right answer is low ribavirin concentrations. We talked earlier about doing therapeutic drug monitoring for ribavirin. There's a clear relationship 
between ribavirin concentrations and response to HCV in ribavirin interferon combination therapy, and probably in DAA combinations with ribavirin as well. But these were data presented in February by Jen Kaiser and her colleagues from the University of Colorado, showing that in this study, people who failed this regimen in the blue had lower ribavirin concentrations at, at baseline four weeks, eight weeks, and 12 weeks as compared to the people who achieved an SVR. So that's pretty interesting. What we don't know is whether the low ribavirin concentrations are simply a surrogate for non-adherence. And taking somebody with acute HCV infection, particularly somebody who's asymptomatic, and convincing them to take ribavirin and sofosbuvir for 12 weeks is perhaps a challenging thing for some people. So we don't, know the mech- we don't know the reason the ribavirin concentrations were low, but this was a clear marker for risk of failure of this two-drug regimen, which is, I, I think, pretty interesting. Clearly, sofosbuvir monotherapy isn't going to be good enough for um, uh, curing people with acute HCV infection. Yeah, thir- 52% higher concentrations uh, in those who achieved an SVR. Okay. So that's it. Uh, it's just about 1 o'clock. And um, so we have a choice. So Mike Charlton has two sets of cases, one related to management of genotypes two and three, and the other related to special populations, advanced liver disease, renal disease, et cetera, et cetera. It's in your, in your agenda. So we can start with the genotype two and three, or we can start with the spe- special populations, because we're running a little bit short of time, and I'm afraid we're only going to be able to do one of those sets of cases. So which would you prefer? How many people want the GT2 and 3? How many people want special populations? There you have it. Is that okay? Okay. Good. Yeah, because there are some